0: Hey. Psst. Hey, listeners. Can you keep a secret? We have a new sponsor, and not only are they sponsoring this episode, but they help us find other sponsors. It's called Podcorn, and honestly, we're obsessed. Why would we ever keep Podcorn a secret? I think we
1: should shout it from the rooftops. If you're podcasters like us, Podcorn is a
0: must. Whoa, that rhymed. (laughs) Nice. Unintentional. You know what? You're right. Podcorn is a marketplace that connects brands and podcasts with sponsors while cutting out the middleman. It's worked so well for us, we've even been able to offset our production costs. Podcorn takes the pain
1: out of finding sponsors. And the best part Podcorn lets us choose our own rates and lets us choose from available sponsors and brands to find the ones that we love. Podcorn supports us the whole way, making sure we get that money, no matter what.
0: If you have a podcast and you need a sugar daddy, go to our show notes, click the link, sign up for Podcorn, and then start browsing sponsorship opportunities. Trust us, you won't regret it. Bye! Quite unusual.
1: Hello, hello! You are listening to the Quite Unusual Podcast. I'm Nicole. And I'm Noelle. And we hope everyone had a very nice, relaxing holiday, whatever it is you choose to celebrate. This episode will be coming out the Monday after New Year's, but obviously we're here recording before then. So we're recording in that weird time of the year between Christmas and New Year's, when everyone just kind of feels fat and lazy and useless, you know. Oh,
0: I know. <laughs> oh, I know. I, I have the button of my jeans unbuttoned. <laughs> I, mean, I do. I haven't put on jeans in probably five
1: days. So hard pants. Yeah, I'm, just, I'm on the I'm on the soft pants right now. Ew. Soft pants
0: train. I respect that.
1: Yeah, I don't know about you, but it seems like my family just gets me wine and chocolate when they can't figure out what to give me. Yeah. Which I'm here for, because that's all I've been doing lately, is just eating
0: chocolate and drinking wine. Yeah, I have been doing nothing but eating candy and cookies <laughs> and pastries, and that's fine. Because calories, they don't count between Christmas and New Year's. Oh, It's like a black hole of calories. It's true. It's like the
1: unwritten rule.
0: Yeah, so we're exempt from our shame.
1: Can I also just mention... So last week we did the station nightclub fire and we mentioned the terrible video and we warned people not to watch it, you know. And I know there were a bunch of people who messaged us after listening and they were like, yeah, I totally couldn't watch that. Didn't even try. Well, I just wanted to tell you that my mother texted me on Monday. And she, so after she listened to our episode and she texts me and she's like, send me the link for that video. I can't find it online. <laughs> and I was like, what video? And she was like, the fire video. And I was like, oh, okay. So that's where I get my morbid curiosity from.
0: <laughs> Shout out to Conrad. So she watched it and she was like, oh my gosh. Yeah. I was like, I told you, mom. And then she watched it 85 more times. Probably. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. I was over at her house the other day and there were like maps and photos on the walls with like a bunch of like red <laughs> yarn, like, like the, connecting things. That Charlie Day meme. Yeah. It was identical to that. And she ushered me in. She was like, no, no, don't have to see this. It's like, okay, Connie. Um, and then I called your dad because she just, you know feel like she needed help. Yeah. Well, thank you for that. You're welcome. She's probably going to listen to this too and be like,
1: what? (laughs) (laughs) Hey, Connie. (laughs) Hey, mom. (laughs) Anyways, a while back, we actually asked you guys about what topics you would like us to cover. And the topic that we're going to cover today actually came up quite a few times. And I'm happy that it did because I've been wanting to do this for a long time. Mm-hmm. It's been on my list, I think, since we first started the podcast, actually.
0: Yeah, for sure. It's so funny because we were making our own little short lists of to-do topics. Mm-hmm. And then we figured that we would also ask you guys because... Obviously, we're not speaking into a void. You're listening to us. (laughs) Right. Like what topics that we should do. And everything that you guys suggested pretty much just confirmed that we had to start off the new year with this one. Yeah. I'm very excited. So to start the year off, we will be diving into the story of Dyatlov Pass. Dyatlov. Dyatlov. I'm going to do a lot of Russian accents. I'm so sorry (laughs) that Nicole does a really great Russian accent. It's not bad. It's It's amazing. It's better than... Probably any other accent. (laughs) It's your second best accent. What's my first? Oh, Irish. (laughs) It's unreal. She transforms. I transform. Well, this episode will be a two-parter
1: because there's a lot going on in this case, Mm -hmm. if you know about it. And if you don't, well, you're going to learn. Obviously, we always post our sources, but I just wanted to call out if anyone who is obsessed with this case, and I don't know, you've probably heard of this book maybe, but Highly recommend the book Dead Mountain by Mm -hmm. Donnie Eicher. Yeah. It has a lot of info and especially the diary entries, which we'll get into later, but it's currently free to loan on the Hoopla app.
0: Yeah. And it's also super short. It is. Yeah. Yeah. So it's like a quick little, I don't want to say fun, but it's a quick little fun read Mm -hmm. and there's photos in it that are sort of fun. Yeah.
1: So highly recommend. So yeah, check that out for more info. And I guess without further ado... Well, will you be our guide, if you
0: will, and start us off with some background info on the case? You know I love a little background info. I know you do. And I would be happy to. I want to start our story with a quote from one of our hikers, Yuri Yudin. Mm. Well, anyways, we'll get into it, if he's a hiker or not. Mm-hmm. I'm so excited for this story. Know, it's such a, it's such a good one. He says, if I could ask God just one question, it would be, what really happened to my friends that night? The story of Diet Love Pass is frustrating, to say the least. The things that we know are very few. The questions that we have are numerous, and the mystery will likely never, ever be solved. So, this isn't a geography podcast, (laughs) but we are about to get Nat Geo on your asses. (laughs) So, strap in, because I did a ton of research, geography style, to make Mm -hmm. sure that I didn't get any of this wrong. Wait. This isn't a geography podcast? No, no, that's that's next week we record What? That. I know, I'm so oh, sorry. Okay, I'm, yeah, I'm, I'll just leave now. I'll see myself out. Just kidding. Nicole's starting her own podcast called Geo with Nico, so tune into <laughs> that. It comes out on Sundays. Diet Love Pass was once an innocuous, nameless mountain pass high in the Ural Mountains. The Ural Mountains are long and narrow, running across western Russia and forming a natural divide between Europe? Europe? Ural, I think, got me. (laughs) Between Europe and Asia. The mountain range is just over 1,500 miles long, or for our non-American friends, about 2,500 kilometers. The mountain range is amongst the earliest to form, between 250 and 300 million years ago, with a wide range of landscapes from Arctic tundra in the north to a forested and even semi-desert in the south. Dyatlov Pass is situated in the northern region of the Ural Mountains, at an altitude of almost thirty-six hundred feet, or about a thousand meters above sea level, which is pretty dang high. And it's honestly right in the middle of Siberia, so cold. Siberia is is very cold. Um, just in case anyone didn't know that, like I feel like the word Siberian, yeah, usually invokes like the fur
1: hats and mm-hmm. snow, at least for me,
0: or the tigers. Oh yeah. Yeah, that too. Which are fluffy because it's cold. (laughs) Anyways, I looked up the average temperature in the area, which our story takes place, and the average temperature is negative 6 degrees Fahrenheit or negative 21 degrees Celsius. This is the middle of winter, with snow falling somewhere between 18 and 35 inches, depending. Jeez, an average of negative six? Yeah, it drops way lower than that. Well, that's
1: good to know, because I am one of those people who is perpetually cold, and I will never be going
0: to Siberia. Oh. Ever. What are you going to do with these plane tickets I bought us? (laughs) Surprise. (laughs) Surprise. Surprise trip to Siberia? (laughs) For my birthday in February, let's go. (laughs) Fuck no. A group of adventurers was traveling to a mountain called Kolat Cycle in the Mansi language. The direct translation for this is Dead Mountain. It's called this because of the lack of wildlife in the area and also because it's super spooky and the Mansi-like goth shit. (laughs) They're a goth indigenous (laughs) people. Yes, they're a goth tribe of natives that live in the area. Okay, They all have manic panic in their hair. And at least one lip ring per family. Okay. That's the rule. A lot of black, I'm assuming, too. Oh, definitely. Like, (laughs) it's insane. We won't talk about them too much now because we will cover their story and their possible involvement later and then also next week. But they are generally regarded as very peaceful, hurting people. In 1959, a group of youths, ranging from (laughs) the youths. (laughs) Youths. I just like to say like the youths. Trademark ranging from 20 to 38 years old, but mostly in the 20s, set out to do a long cross-country skiing expedition. Their plan was to set into the northern section of the Ural Mountains from Sverdlovsk Oblast in what was then the Soviet Union and ski up to this mountain, camping and having fun with their friends, which was just a totally normal trip for these dudes. Remember, this is Siberia, and it is the Soviet Union, so all the fun there had to basically be made out of thin air or snow or, I assume, wooden blocks or something. Right. And you also, like, weren't technically allowed to have too much fun. No. So. No. In yeah. Soviet Russia, there is no fun. No, no. Fun has you. When you're from a snowy area, you ski, you hike, you eat reindeer meat, you make snowmen. What else is there to do, right? It's what you do. You You got to. Got to. Igor Dilatov of pass and incident fame, <laughs> was the leader of the group. He was outdoorsy, clever, and brave. He was also an experienced grade two hiker with ski tour experience, just like everyone else in this group. They were all seeking to get their grade three certifications upon return from this trip. These certifications were handed out by the Soviet government as sort of like how one would receive a scuba certification, Mm -hmm. But most importantly to them, it was a badge of honor. Grade three had meant that a candidate had traversed 190 miles or about 300 kilometers in a combination of hiking and skiing, which is a shit ton of miles. Yeah, I read that a third of the
1: trip had to be considered challenging terrain with a minimum duration of 16 days and no fewer than eight spent in uninhabited regions and at least six nights spent in a tent. And if they completed it, I mean, they would technically be considered masters of their sport. This sounds terrifying.
0: Yeah. I won't go to Target without mace and my cell phone. (laughs) You carry mace. No, I don't. I have this thing that was called Birdie. Uh And it's terrifying and I keep accidentally pulling it. What is it? It's like a keychain, but you pull one half of it and it's like a strobe light. And it makes this insane, super high frequency noise (laughs) to like... I don't know, like scare your right. attackers or whatever. Oh. And you accidentally pull it all the time. All the fucking time. <laughs> I, I took it off my I key ring. Too.
1: I have that um like the kitty. It's oh. like the cat and it mm-hmm. has the spikes. And um I actually had to buy another one because one time I had jury duty and I it was on my keys. Yeah. And I went through uh security obviously to get to the courtroom and the lady yelled at me because I had it on my keychain and she told me it was illegal. It is illegal. And she threw it out.
0: Yeah. And I was like, well, I'm sorry. Sorry I don't want to be attacked. Right. Why is not that illegal? Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> it is illegal. It's technically brass knuckles. Wow. Well, I currently have something illegal on my kitchen. <laughs> Nicole, stop. They're going to call the cops on us. I can definitely see how your weapon of choice would involve punching. Yeah. It's, it's very unbrand for me. Sure. If you were a Pokemon, you'd be hit only. <laughs> <laughs> Okay. Back to this master of sport thing. How wild is that? They were named by the government as masters of sport, which seems like a really high honor, especially in a communist society where everyone has their place right. and you don't get to wear color or anything. Yeah. So, I mean, I don't, I'm sorry, I'm just broad, broadly generalizing the Soviet Union. So if we have any pro-Soviet <laughs> Union listeners, um, I'm sorry, I guess, for offending you. But I just, I just assume that it's really harsh and yeah, I think dull. It's,
1: yeah, I think it's safe to assume that. Okay.
0: Okay, great. I also read about this thing in the book Dead Mountain called The Thaw, Mm -hmm. which was an easing of Stalin's grip after Khrushchev took over. So Russia was going through like a mini Renaissance light version. (laughs) And things like arts and recreation were becoming more widely acceptable instead of just being frivolous Mm -hmm. when you could be working. You know what I mean? Why are you hiking? And these kids who I guess are around our age- Right? We could kind of say that. Uh, they're a bit younger than us. Remember, we're like 30. So What? Yeah. Did you forget? No, you're 30. I'm not yet. Okay, Don't do this to me. All right. Okay. Well, these children, these youths, <laughs> they had grown up in a very harsh Soviet condition. So they were now allowed to have fun and watch movies and play music and do sort of carefree things instead of just Work all the time, I guess. So they were allowed to hike and ski 190 miles in the frigid Siberian winter. Just like fun kid stuff, you know? Just the whole country as a whole went from hammer and sickle to harmonica and sickle. Or I guess in this case, mandolin and sickle. Nice. Emphasis on sickle. Yeah. <laughs> mandolin and sickle. One time, <laughs> I can tell a, a cross country skiing story? Yes, please do. Okay, one time we had to do cross-country skiing when I was in, I think, sixth grade. Seriously? Yeah, it was part of our gym class in the winter, and it was a freaking nightmare. Where did you guys go skiing? Did you have, is it like a retreat? No, no, no. It was just like behind the school in the field. What? Yeah. I remember I couldn't wear my glasses because they kept getting all fogged up, so I was basically completely blind. (laughs) And I fell probably six million times, if I had to guess. Mm Mm-hmm. Every single time my skis would cross each other and I couldn't get up and it was terrible. And I literally remember lying in the snow and just silently crying until class was over. My class never did that. I've
1: never been skiing in my life. Really? I'm kind of jealous that your school did that. Yeah.
0: Okay. Well, I went one time and I think I have PTSD from it because I literally (laughs) cried in the snow until they blew the whistle. And then I took my skis off and I walked back in ski boots. Oh, sorry. Yeah, I was super fat and very unathletic. Unlike now. <laughs> you know. Let's get back to our actual story and All not right. just my childhood traumas. <laughs> okay. Igor and his buds had probably well over 100 miles worth of skiing and hiking under their belts. So they probably weren't crying during gym class. <laughs> and in Soviet Russia, tears cry you. I was going to say they weren't allowed to cry in gym no. class. I'm gonna try really hard to stop making Yakov Smirnov style jokes. Yakov Smirnov. What? You've never heard that? No. In Soviet Russia, I don't know, name a thing. Cork pop you. I don't know. You've <laughs> what never is that heard from? this. There's a comedian. His name is Yakov Smirnov, and he came to America from Russia because he wanted to be famous. Uh-huh. He didn't speak any English. <laughs> and he, like, kind of learned English and did a lot of jokes and broken English. Uh-huh. I've and, never heard of him. Oh, my God. Stop it. I'm going to make you watch a YouTube video after that. Okay, this. okay. Those Steal. are like, that's like the joke that that's what his jokes were. Like, in Soviet Russia, <laughs> claws hang you. I don't know why, if he made jokes like that, kind of. So I'll stop doing it, though, I promise. I probably won't stop I was going to say, please don't stop doing it. <laughs> Anyways, the group of Snowvengers that Igor was assembling would be called the 21st Congress of the Communist Party of Soviet Union. Or CCPSU for short, which we should call this <laughs> KGBSU. <laughs> yeah, so we're just gonna casually call it that. So when we say you, we're not choking. We're trying to describe this right. party. So just remember that. That's right. The group was composed of some of, of some of Russia's best and brightest. Igor was a student at Ural Polytechnical Institute, and most of the others were fellow students or alumni. The extremely patriotically named group was composed of seven other men and two women. And from what I saw, they were basically all super good friends. Mm -hmm. Maybe like some cute little crushes between boys and girls, but no actual romantic involvements or grudges. This was not a soap opera. This was a Soviet opera. Where everyone got along and they sang, I'll be there for you when the snows Oh, gosh. Please cut that. No. Sane Dang it. Okay. <laughs> well, I'd like to think that everyone was a Chandler, but they were all super crazy smart. Because mm. that's more fun to think. Phoebe was always my favorite. She would not be Soviet. No. Who's didn't. most likely to be Soviet out of the Friends cast? Monica. Ross. What? Yeah. Oh, yeah. Both of them. They're brothers. That just sucks. He does suck. They were on a break. It's not his fault. <laughs> the group was thought to have been dispatched by their local Komsmolo Group, which is an abbreviation for a lot of very long Russian words. Oh, and, is it? Yes. And <laughs> I I'm not. It was a word. No, I know. And I'm not going to attempt to say it. But the translation is the All Union Leninist Young Communist League. Okay. Basically, Boy Scouts, but sponsored by the Soviet government. Communist Boy Scouts. Absolutely. Got it. The route was hashed out by the by the group and designated so that they would reach the far northern regions of Sverdlovsk Oblast in the upper portion of the Lozva River. The group laid out their plan to the city route commission in Sverdlovsk. Remember how Igor and the gang were looking (laughs) to seek their category three certification? Yes. Well, that's Exactly why they went out in the middle of winter when most of the rest of us enter hibernation mode. Yes. The route that they had selected, which would reach the mountain called Gora Otorten, was an estimated Category 3 difficulty. Only during the most difficult time to traverse the mountain in the harshest part of the winter, which is late January, early February. But... These were cold, weather, outdoorsy people that probably just thought nothing of these temperatures. I mean, they were raised in Siberia. Yeah, right. I read that today with advanced equipment that we have now, their
1: route wouldn't be... it It would be considered average. Really? Which is insane to me because hiking in negative degree weather is not average to me at all. But I guess back then it was considered extremely difficult because it was only 1959
0: and... I mean, their tents didn't even have zippers. They had to sew themselves in. So, yeah. I mean, think about just people from 1959, back when they thought that you could just like jiggle fat off your body. Remember those cool <laughs> old exercise machines? Yeah. And also, I can't walk upstairs without like needing to catch my breath. Mm-hmm. So I can't even imagine skiing on flat surface without crying during gym class. <laughs> and just sitting there waiting for it to be over. Yeah. I'm like out of <laughs> breath right now. Just sitting here. Just sitting here speaking for a really long time. Well, you do have asthma. I do. Thank you. Thank you for falling back on that for me. You're a really good friend. You're welcome. (laughs) And also, this just reminded me of when it's spring and it's 35 degrees out Mm. here in Chicago. Yes. Yeah. And then people start going outside in shorts, but much more extreme. I saw pictures of Igor and the gang in just basically turtlenecks and flannels just chilling outside in the middle of January. Oh, casual. Yeah, like this was just a walk in the park for them. <laughs> what is it with people
1: from Chicago doing that? I, I, s- <laughs> I swear, it's like our winters are just so bad that at the first sight of sunshine, every dude breaks out of shorts and muscle
0: tanks. Yeah, it's like ridiculous. It's, it's a thing here. It's like a beanie and shorts. <laughs> yeah. It's like spring weather. <laughs> like converse shoes, too. Yeah, for sure. (laughs) Snow be damned. (laughs) On January 23rd, the group was issued their route book, which listed their course as following the number five trail, and they left the same day that they received it. With them, they brought a camera, which is absolutely amazing because we have hundreds of photos of these people, which we will share on our social media so everyone can see. There's some super cute pictures. Yeah. This whole expedition was actually just really, really well documented. Which is incredible for the time and because it's such a big mystery Mm -hmm. that we have all this information. Right. They brought with them paper and pencils to write letters and they even made a fun little newspaper called the Evening O'Torton. They also brought with them some postcards, which they mailed out to family and friends, and no alcohol besides a small bottle of medical grade alcohol, which... Some reports call vodka, but I think it was probably closer to rubbing alcohol. Mm, Yeah, but isn't some Russian vodka just basically rubbing alcohol anyways? (laughs) The stuff we drank in high school was. (laughs) Right. Hey, all right. Before leaving, the whole group decided that they would give up smoking cigarettes and just bring none on the trip with them to kind of go cold turkey. Although, one of the members, Alexander, snuck a little pipe and some real tobacco in with his belongings which I think is hilarious, but also a dick move. Yeah, it didn't go over well with the rest of the campers. (laughs) I can imagine. You're all hiking a mountain, um, and you're trying to quit smoking, and this guy just kind of pulls out a pipe, and he's like, so when are we taking a rest? (laughs) All in all, this was just a regular group of fun-loving young people looking for adventure on the side of a mountain. Nicole, our narrator... (laughs) Did they find fun and adventure on the side of the mountain? Are are we doing this again? We're going to do this again? Okay. (laughs) They did not find fun and
1: adventure on the side of the mountain.
0: You have such a good narrator voice. How much would you charge me to narrate my whole life? Just walk behind Uh, me and narrate. Just pay me in, like, cakes and cookies. It's fine. Deal? Deal? Deal. Just start following me around and speaking (laughs) behind me. Okay. Okay. Thank you. It's
1: important to point out that while this group was a group of young kids, they were pretty much all in their early 20s. Like us. <laughs> yeah, like us. <laughs> There's, I mean, they're, with the exception of one member, but they were all extremely smart and capable, and they were all either students or graduates f- from Ural Polytechnic Institute located in Ekenberg, Sverdlovsk Oblast, Russia. I want to talk a bit more about these eight men and two women, kind of more about their personalities and who they really were, so we could kind of get to know them a little bit, if you will. The thing that happened to them was not their fault. Last episode with the fire and the tragedy, obviously it was a mistake. It could have been avoided. But this group was very organized, and whatever it is that happened to them should not have happened. And their expedition was well thought out, and it was planned, and it just adds to why their story is just so sad
0: it's super sad and this to me is just one of those weird things that yeah should have never ever happened and it's just a total freak mystery yeah. but it has such a final destination vibe to me almost <laughs> like it was somehow fated to happen even though that's totally awful to say yeah but it's just so bizarre it is very weird
1: So do we want to meet our group of 10 hikers? Yeah. Introduce us to the gang. All right. So the first member of the gang that we have is Yuri Doroshenko. He was only 21 years old, and he's the first of the three Yuris on the trip. Because there's three Yuris. It's just the way it is. Got to be. He knew Igor because he was also a radio engineering student at Ural Polytechnic Institute.
0: Oh, you know what? I'm reading through some laws here actually, and there is oh, a law, you? yeah, that in the USSR, if you have an igor, they also must be accompanied by a minimum of 2 yuris but no more than 4 to make oh, it legal. Okay. So, yeah, this checks out. <laughs> checks out. Yeah.
1: Yuri Doroshenko was known to be a brave and confident man. He was not new to camping or hiking or the great outdoors as he had once chased off a bear from a campsite Wielding nothing but a geologist's hammer. Only in Russia. That is the most Russian story I have ever heard. I know, right? <laughs> <laughs> the next person we have is Yuri Krivonoshenko, also Yurgy. So we're going to call him
0: Yurgy because there's just too many Yuris. Too many. Too, too Yurys. many. His birth name is actually Yorgi, which is spelled like Georgie. Yeah. And his nickname is Yuri. Because I was also wondering, because a lot of the stuff we read, they call him both things and like go back and forth. Yeah, they do. So basically Yuri is the Slavic version of George. Oh. So yeah, his name is spelled Georgie. Yeah. But it's pronounced Yorgi, which is Yuri. Which is also (laughs) called Yuri. (laughs) All the same name? I don't know. All right. Well, I'm
1: confused. So we're going to call him Yorgi. Love it. All right. He was 25 years old and he was the funny one of the group. So he was like the Noelle of the group, if you will. You're the funny one. Stop it. I'm just the one that has like knowledge about horror movies and that's it. That's all I bring to
0: the table. Well, you're really good at breathing during like long speaking sessions. Mm. So you also bring that to the table. Okay. Okay. I got that too. (laughs) Oxygen intake can't be beat.
1: Well, Yorgi was always playing pranks and he carried his very own mandolin and he would play it multiple times throughout the trip. The book said that he was always ready with a wisecrack and a mandolin, so he had a pretty big personality. He was a student of construction
0: and hydraulics. First, I am honored to be the second Yuri of the group. (laughs) And also, my Dungeons and Dragons brain automatically makes him the bard. Oh, yeah, totally. I couldn't stop thinking of right? these guys as, like, an adventuring party, mm-hmm. D&D style. Yeah. Well, it's I a mean, sickness. a bard kit would totally carry a mandolin, too, so. And, yeah, and be like, why is cracking? And, <laughs> yeah, totally. <laughs> yeah. The next person we have
1: is Igor Dyatlov. Obviously, he was the leader of the group, and it's obviously where we get the name Dyatlov Pass. Wait, What?
0: It's yeah. not just a coincidence? No, it was named after him. <laughs> I just thought it was a super popular thing. Oh, right. Yeah. No, no, just kidding. No, just no, kidding. No. He was 23 years old
1: at the time, and he was a very smart young man who was a radio engineering student at Euro Polytechnic Institute. He came from a family of engineers, and he actually used to build radios for fun. Like, that was his thing. He was famous for bringing his shortwave radios on his treks, but... They were also kind of cumbersome, and bringing one on this particular trip just would have been out of the question, so he left it at home for this trip. Well, was that a good move? We don't know. Yeah, right. He was known to be very charming and intelligent, and he had been on many expeditions prior to this one.
0: I was watching an interview with his sister, Tatyana, which is my third favorite Russian name. (laughs) And she said that the whole country was fascinated at this time by Sputnik Mm -hmm. because it just seemed so futuristic. Right. And the news would actually announce what time it would cross the night sky every night so people could look at it. Uh Uh-huh. But Igor wanted a closer look, so he built a telescope. Okay. Yeah. He's just like, hey, siblings, let's build a telescope. (laughs) So, I mean, that kind of, that's... Him, I guess. Right. I want to see this. So he builds a telescope, which is extremely impressive because I don't even know how telescopes work. It's very impressive. And it just is another testament to
1: how intelligent he was. Oh, absolutely. The next person we have and the first woman on the group is Zenaida Komogorova, a.k.a. Zena. She was 22, and she was also a
0: radio engineering student with Yuri and Igor. Yeah, she was also a part-time princess, warrior princess. <laughs> Xena. <laughs> yeah, yeah the Zena. warrior princess. I was like, what?
1: Yeah, she's part-time. Right. While they found multiple diaries from the search, she was the one who sort of kept the best notes. She had the best entries. They kept such great records in their diaries because they needed this information as proof. So they could get their grade three certificate.
0: Yeah. You know what? Let's try to get our grade three and we'll just go, like, we'll hide behind a tree for 16 days <laughs> and, and we'll wrote. write super great notes and then we'll mess our hair up and come back. And but, take, like, fake pictures
1: of us doing really hard stuff. Yeah. Oh, for sure. Stage it all.
0: Yeah. <laughs> it's the only way to do it. Let's cheat our way to a grade three. I'm down.
1: So basically what they did is they kept these diaries to prove that they did everything correctly. But... Unlike us, they
0: probably didn't lie about <laughs> They <it>. definitely <laughs> really did these things.
1: She was said to be, end quote, the type of girl who drew admiration wherever she went. So she was a very good-looking woman, and some men on the trip actually had crushes on her. Mm. I think it was Igor, Yorgi, and then one of the Yuris had a crush on her or something. So so many Yuris. <laughs> right. Right. She was known as lively and bright, and she was very well-liked by everyone who met her. Mm. They actually went in, during their trip, they went to a school, Mm -hmm. and they talked to a bunch of students, and all of the students also just, like, fell in love with her because she was just that type of person. Like, she was very charming. Charismatic. Charismatic, yeah. The next person that we have is Rustam Slobodin, and he was 23 years old, and he came from a very wealthy family. Both of his parents were affluent college professors, and he had actually already graduated with a degree in mechanical engineering. He also played the mandolin, though I don't think he brought one on the trip, but he loved singing as well. He was very well-liked by everyone in the group, even though he was like the rich boy and significantly more well-off than the rest. He didn't show it, and he fit in well with everyone.
0: I read one anecdotal story that he had a jacket that was like his absolute favorite, and mm-hmm. he had it for years and years. Yeah, and it was all ripped up and totally ratty, yeah. but he wore it anyways. Right. So I don't think he was a Richie Rich type. No, he was like a Soviet rich type. You know what I mean? Right. Yeah. yeah. You
1: can see, and there's in the many pictures that they've taken, you can see his jacket, and he's wearing it, and it's totally all ripped up. Yeah. But he just loved it, I guess. Yeah. So that's hey. nice. Yeah. The next one we have is the second woman on the group, and her name is Ludmila Dubinina, and she was the youngest in the expedition, being only 20 years old. She was studying construction industry economics and was very outspoken and highly principled. She was also a communist. Very communist. So she... On top of all that, was tough as nails. On a previous hiking trip, she had been accidentally shot in the leg after someone mishandled a rifle. And it was reported that while she was being carried out or, I guess, helped, she was just cracking jokes and laughing the whole time in high spirits. Like, she didn't really care that she had just been shot in the leg. It is just a flesh wound. <laughs> I do not care. Pretty much. The next member we have is Nikolai Thibault Brinols. Or Kolya. I don't know how you get that from there. Nikolai? Kolya? Kolya? Oh, yeah. Nikolai Kol Okay, okay, okay. Well, he was 24 years old, and he also had already graduated with a degree in industrial civil construction. His French last name actually came from his great-grandfather who had immigrated to Russia in the 1800s. He was very serious and well-read, but he could also find humor in any situation.
0: I also read that he carried a special bag just full of baguettes because everyone knows. For real. (laughs) Yes, everyone knows that if you are French and you're asked to prove it, you just pull out a baguette. Mm. There's no disputing it. You you have to have a beret on hand at all times. Yeah, he always wore one under his fur hat. Under his winter hat. Yeah, (laughs) it was sort of his thing.
1: Our next guy that we have is Semyon also known as Alexander, also known as Sasha, Zolotaryov. And he was a bit older. He was, some articles said 38, some said 37, depending on the article. So the thing to point out is just that he was older than the rest. Ancient. (laughs) He was actually a ski and tour instructor, and he wanted to add performance points to his degree so he could hit the rank of Master, or I guess expert instructor. That is so cool. Right. To be called a master of
0: master. anything. <laughs> I'm going to be a master instructor.
1: <laughs> no one knew who he was at first. So, th- this group of kids kind of, they all, I, I don't know if they were friends before, but, or if they knew each other, but they knew each other. No one knew him. So, at first, everyone was a little kind of iffy, but. Then he sort of just fit right in. He sang along to the mandolin songs and they were just like, okay, you're cool. He knows Leonard Skinnerd. He's cool. <laughs> he was actually recommended by friends of the team from the sports club because he was originally supposed to go with another group mm-hmm. and it just didn't work out. So then he kind of latched onto this group last minute. He also had a bunch of tattoos, which was not heard of in communist Russia. Fun fact, he had a picture of Beats tattooed on his forearm. That's Honestly, very cute. Right? And maybe they're his favorite food? Very (laughs) Russian-seeming. But the reason why he had all of these tattoos was because he was a World War II veteran, and he actually was a combat engineer. And a combat engineer is as metal as it sounds. Yeah. Basically, his job in the war was to go in first to the battle site and pretty much secure the site. So. The chances of your survival as a combat engineer in World War II were very slim. Yeah, not a lot of these guys survived. No. I think something like 80% of combat engineers in World War II died. Yeah. But he didn't.
0: He survived. And he actually had four medals. That's amazing. He was fortified by the power of beats. (laughs) So he made it through every time. The next...
1: Man we have is Alexander Kolvatov, and he was 24, and he was, like, the big... Like, he was a big dude. Beefy guy. Yeah, like, the muscle of the group, I guess you can say. He was studying nuclear physics, so he was big and smart. That's how we like him. Double whammy. (laughs) He carried with him an antique pipe, and he would smoke tobacco while on the hike, which kind yeah. of seems counterproductive. But Even though they said no. Even no though smoking. they said no. They weren't keen on the habit because they all decided to give it up. But he didn't really care. So he just smoked his pipe anyways. Well,
0: what were they, they going to do? Fight him? He's exactly. like a Yeti of a person but also can make a nuclear bomb. Exactly. They were probably just too afraid to tell him yeah. to stop. And I don't blame them. Yeah. Alexander also
1: did not share his journal entries with the others. The All the others shared with the group but not him. He refused to because he was a private man. And I think of him as, like, the tall, big, brooding type
0: who just sort of smokes a pipe in the corner and, and everyone's probably, like, afraid of him. Oh, yeah. He's just always staring off into the distance right. and writing poetry and smoking a <laughs> pipe. He only chimes in, like, here or there, you know, that yeah. type of thing. He laughs like, huh. that's it. You get one ha out of him. And he only has, like, five oh. a year, so... <laughs> If you can get him to laugh, you're fucking killing it. The last and final
1: member of the crew was Yuri Yudin, and he was only 21 years old. And he was the only survivor, but there's a reason for that. He was a geology student, and he was known to have a very good sense of humor. The reason why he survived was because he had a turn back and was not present at the time of all of the deaths. And he had a turn back due to medical reasons, So he had a lot of medical issues like rheumatism, which is pain in your joints and your cartilage and your bones. He also had a heart condition and chronic knee and back pain. So his condition got so bad, actually, that he had to take a year off of school. That's how bad it was. Wow. But he found therapy in hiking, and he sort of hiked as a way to overcome his medical issues, But the hike just proved too difficult, so he had to leave the group on January 28th. On January 23rd, 1959, the group got on a train to Ivdell, a central city of the northern province of Sverdlovsk Oblast, and they had planned to stay the night there. They had purposely purchased less tickets than they had people because they were students and they were traveling on a budget, so when the conductor would come through to punch the tickets... Some of them would hide under the seats, and Ludmila or Luda, she was very good at hiding because of her small frame. So she was always the one who would like sneak under the seats
0: when he came by. This honestly sounds very fun I know, too, isn't it hilarious? Yeah, like sneaking around just sounds super fun.
1: Right. It was on the train that this these students first met up with Alexander or Sasha, the older man. He originally intended to go with a different group, but he had to drop out, and actually igor dyatlov had a member drop out of his original group so he did have room for one more and imagine being that guy who that dropped out was almost in
0: this group yeah yeah
1: dude it's insane
0: i keep thinking about yuri like sorry let me specify yuri yuden yuri three yeah. um <laughs> yuri three <laughs> just i feel like he probably has a lot of survivor's
1: guilt oh for sure yeah for sure while on the train, Yorgi pulled out his mandolin, and they all started to sing songs. And actually, it was reported in their diaries that Yorgi was actually almost arrested in the beginning of the trip for singing and playing his mandolin at the train station. Yeah, not allowed. Yeah, in communist Russia, singing and having fun. Not allowed. Mm-mm. So he was brought to the police station, but he was later let go, thankfully. But yeah. what if they arrested him and he couldn't go? He would have would have been alive.
0: Yeah. Maybe.
1: Maybe. (laughs) Maybe. Maybe. After a few pit stops along the way, like I mentioned before, they stopped at a school, they talked to some kids, and they also met up with another group led by another Yuri, Yuri Bilnov, and they were sort of embarking on a similar excursion.
0: Well, he couldn't go with them because if you remember, according to the law, an Igor must be accompanied by a minimum Minimum of of two Yuris, but no more than four. So... If they let him go too, technically that's four Yuries, and it's really cutting it close. And they already had the run in with the mandolin with the police. <laughs> they didn't want so to go. So they're like, you know what? We just, we can't go with you. Sorry. It's too many areas. Dude. It's too many. Too many areas, man. You got to stay back.
1: <laughs> Anyways, they traveled with this group to get to the starting point of their actual hike. So the group finally made it to Evedale on January 25th, 1959. Evedel was a gold mining settlement and was then used as a location for a Soviet prison camp built in 1937, which was actually unknown to Westerners until 1963. In fact, Stalin's little secret prison camps predated Hitler's concentration camps in what he called the Gulag system. And his
0: camps actually functioned way after concentration camps were liberated, too. That makes sense. I think a lot of Soviet Russia was kind of locked down to the outside world. Yeah. Yeah. Yes. It's fucked up.
1: Totally. And many people obviously did not agree with the Soviet Communist Party. And these people were either killed or thrown into these camps. And it was also known as the Great Purge. And it's estimated that 750,000 people died during this Great Purge. That's terrible. Yeah, just for disagreeing with their government, pretty much. It wasn't until 1989 that the Soviet prison system was finally reformed, which is insane to me. And I feel like we didn't learn about it in
0: school. But anyways, we're not here to
1: talk about communist Russia, really, so... (laughs)
0: Well, I mean, it was, like, the hammer and sickle. It wasn't, like, the hammer and, like, the sidebar where, like, you were allowed to, like, kind of chat with people about how you didn't agree with the Soviets. You just kind of had to do what they wanted you to. Yeah,
1: or you got killed. Yeah. Or thrown into prison. So from Evedel, the group then hopped on a bus that did not have enough seats for everyone, so they were kind of sitting on each other's laps and on top of their gear. All the while, Yorgi filled the air with sounds of his sweet, sweet mandolin because you got to.
0: Wonder Wall. All right, everyone. Here's s- Here is a song I just wrote. You are my Wonder Wall. Ready? Go.
1: The bus ride was two hours long, and it was going to be taking them to Vizay. In the middle of the bus ride, the bus stopped for a break, and they let the passengers off to shop, relieve themselves, whatever. It was during this time that the group realized that they were a man short. <gasps> Alexander... Kolvatov, the big brooding man with the pipe, Oh yeah, was not with them. He was a very serious and disciplined man, so it, everyone was just kind of confused because it was odd for him to have missed the ride. Mm-hmm. And no one can really remember why he missed it. Some people suggested that maybe he stopped to smoke his pipe before they left and got separated. but no one really remembers.
0: So. I actually heard he was doing pull-ups. And he, yeah, he was almost at 100, and he's like, I just can't get on this bus right now. I have to finish. I have to finish. I have to finish this set.
1: Anyways, the driver had a tight schedule to keep, so he could not turn all the way around. But he agreed to wait a little to see if Alexander would show up. And Alexander was not about to miss this trip because he wanted that certificate. Gotta get it. Gotta get it. So he did what any logical person would do in this situation. He ran. Of course he did. He ran the whole way to catch up with the bus, and he made it. Of course. Which is just incredible to me because I don't know about you, but I can't run.
0: Like, no. I, I've i actually tried to make myself be a runner, and yeah. I just can't. So. Yeah, me too. And <laughs> I literally can't even sit in one place and talk for an extended period of time yeah. without being out of breath. So right. watching me run is like watching... <laughs> I don't even know. Like a wounded animal trying to escape something. Mm -hmm.
1: Yeah. It's pretty sad. I only run if I'm being chased by something. Who's chasing you? Zombies. Bears. The KGB. Oh. (laughs) Anyways, it's incredible to me that this man ran after this bus this whole way and eventually caught up with it. But it's just another indicator of how tough (laughs) these kids really were. Which also makes me wonder, though. Yeah. What if he didn't make it? Or what if they went back for him? Or they waited? Would they still be alive?
0: There's a lot. See, this is what I mean when I say Final the questions are a plant. I know. It's like the things that keep you up yeah. at night. There's so, so many what ifs with this. Yeah. At two in
1: the afternoon, the bus arrived in Visay, a town built on the backs of Gulag
0: prisoners for free. Well, they so, were prisoners. Yeah, that's cute. But they were thrown in prison because they weren't communists. So, again, it's <laughs> hammer and sickle, not hammer and sidebar. It was
1: here that they parted with the other group. Bilnov's hiking group took a bus to their next destination, and the Dyatlov crew spent the night in Vize. The group awoke, had breakfast, and then piled onto a truck for a three-hour ride to get to the point where they would start their march towards Gora or, T- or Tortin. It was during this ride that Yuri Yudin was contemplating his decision about continuing on, because remember, he was the one with the medical issues mm-hmm. and the muscle aches. And just sitting on this bumpy truck for three hours was extremely painful for
0: him. That would be for someone that didn't have back problems and stuff. (laughs) Right. Also,
1: the cold is not great for you when you have rheumatism. It sort of aggravates your symptoms and makes things worse. So this whole thing was just not an ideal situation for him. No. So after the three-hour truck ride, the group shacked up with some woodcutters in Sector 41, where they rested up and they had a couple of meals. And, of course, Yorgi broke out his trusty mandolin and they sang and they danced with the woodcutters before they would set out for their trek.
0: I love that it's called Sector 41. I know. It sounds so So, yeah. (laughs) The hikers were escorted by a horse-drawn
1: sleigh, and they made a 15-mile trek by moonlight to a geology settlement deeper into the forest. Alas, the hikers made it to the settlement, where there were about 20 cabins, but the settlement had been abandoned for two to three years, so there was only really one house that was suitable for lodging. The girls took the beds, and the men spread out on the floor, and they went to sleep.
0: Oh, it's like a sleepover. It is. Also, I'm feeling like the whole track to get to their track... Yeah. ...should just make them masters of sport. Right. This is unreal. The track to get to the track is pretty harsh also. A train, um, a bus, unless you had to run, like some people at the party... <laughs> A horse-drawn sleigh, a 15-mile track. They didn't, they didn't even get to ride on that, though. That was just for
1: their luggage. They skied the, the way. Oh. The the sleigh was for their luggage. Yeah. They probably so. opted out of being in the sleigh. Right. So it's at this point, they wake up in the morning. It's this at this point that Yuri Yudin, he had to make the difficult decision that he was not going to continue. His whole thing was, if you remember, he was a geology student. Mm-hmm. So he kind of just really wanted to get to the geology settlement because he took some rock samples, and that was, like, his big thing. So once he made it there, he was kind of good. I mean, he still was still sad about not continuing. But once he made it there, it was also the last time he could really decide if he could come back or not. Yeah. And when he awoke, it was very difficult for him to even pull himself up from the floor that he was laying on. Oh, no. So since it was his last chance to turn back – and this was the last settlement they would be staying in from here on out they'd be sleeping in forests so it would just be even harder for him to get up yeah. and walk
0: i mean if you can't get up how you're gonna walk yeah he was probably also just like he wanted to just go to this geology place instead you know what i mean he's like yeah. I'm, I'm definitely gonna go with you <laughs> on this entire 300 kilometer trek right. i want to do this i'm so into it let's go <laughs> And then instead he just wanted to hang out with his fancy rocks. Yeah, in it for the geology settlement, oh, yeah. for sure. <laughs> in it for the rocks. So Yuri Yudin
1: sadly had a call for himself, and he traveled back to the woodcutter's settlement with the horse-drawn sleigh. And I also read that he also wasn't allowed to sit, sit on it. Like, he also had a ski bag, oh.
0: which doesn't... It's like, I have rheumatism, please.
1: <laughs> right. On January twenty eighth, 1959, the group continued their trek up towards Torton Mountain and their path would follow the river up towards the mountain. We now follow their journey from what pictures and diary entries were found because Yuri Udin was no longer with them and they wouldn't encounter anyone else along the way so as we know, they all died. So what? everything from this point on is just diary entries and pictures.
0: We think they didn't encounter anyone on the way. That's true. we don't know we don't we know. don't know. The journey was difficult as expected
1: and the group took turns leading. Each person would lead for 10 minutes and then they'd switch. They also had to stop every so often just to scrape the packed on snow from the bottoms of their skis. So it took a long time. The group was hiking between two dangers, one being the fragile ice on the river and then the other being the treacherous terrain on the riverbanks. This is until they came across an existing path that they found that was made by Mansi Hunters.
0: Very convenient.
1: Very convenient. During the evenings, each member had an assigned task for setting up their campsite. After everything was set up, the group would cook dinner and They'd talk around the fire, sing to Yorgie's mandolin, and then they would go to bed and rest up for the next day's adventure.
0: That sounds really nice. If it wasn't negative 85,000 degrees <laughs> right. out, right?
1: it sounds super fun. <laughs> the third day of the trek was noted as a very difficult one in their diaries. The temperature had dropped and a southwest wind was picking up with snow falling and the group could no longer make out the Mansi Trail that they were following. The snow was four feet deep in certain places, and the forest started to thin out, so their cover was thinning as well. Although they lost track of the trail, the group still noted Mansi tribe symbols among the trees that they passed, and Zena even copied a couple of symbols in her diary.
0: Yeah, it looks super, super cool. Mm -hmm. But unfortunately, they couldn't read what it said. Right, and I also heard that the symbols weren't
1: really... It wasn't dating, anything that would have been of use to them. Right. It would have been like, oh, this group with this many people, this many dogs. It was just like, I guess, a record keeper yeah. for people who had traveled there. It wasn't anything like, don't make a left turn
0: because the Yeti lives there. It wasn't anything like that. That would have been very helpful. It would have been very helpful. <laughs> yeah. Unfortunately, that sign was covered by four feet of snow. <laughs> right.
1: After their difficult day, the group had to find a suitable place to make camp for the night which was not an easy task as they were basically just in the open now. So they had to retreat a bit to find a spot amongst some trees. Tempers were also a little bit hot because they had just experienced this really shitty day. And Luda got into an argument with Kolya about who would stitch the tent. But then around dinner, their moods began to lift because they gathered around the fire to celebrate Yuri
0: Doroshenko's 21st birthday. Happy birthday. They don't sing there, do they? Well, they, they did because birthday. they were in the middle of nowhere. So oh, so it, it wasn't illegal. It wasn't Nothing's illegal. Nothing's illegal on the mountainside. If you sing happy birthday in the woods and no one's there to hear it, you don't get arrested. If you sing happy birthday in the woods and everyone in your party dies, did it make a sound?
1: <laughs> Anyways, they gifted him with a tangerine that they had brought and like kept and away from him so he didn't see. So they give him this tangerine and I guess... Uh, tangerines were considered a special fruit because they were only available for a brief season and they were often given as
0: gifts on New Year's Day. Giving citrus for New Year's and Christmas is super good luck. Is it? Mm Mm-hmm. Oh, I never knew that. And also, the color orange was illegal in the Soviet (laughs) Union. So, (laughs) this was another illegal activity, but no one's around. No one saw
1: it. Instead of eating the tangerine all on his own, Doroshenko shared his tangerine with the group... With everyone except for Luda because she was still salty (gasps) from her quarrel with Kolya and she had locked herself in the tent away
0: from everyone else. Oh, no. (laughs) Which I think is hilarious. It is funny. (laughs) Fine, then she doesn't get tangerine. (laughs) The next day on January 31st,
1: this would be the final day that we have documented in their journals. So what they did is they typically wrote their entries in the mornings. So... They would write about the events of the previous day, Mm -hmm. the morning after. The group set out at 10 a.m., and the weather had worsened even more so. The wind had picked up, and it was snowing, but Igor, in his diary, had written that it was probably just most likely from... The wind blowing the snow from the treetop, so it wasn't actually snowing. Yeah. But it was still falling down. Right. On this day, the hikers stayed away from the river that they had previously been following, and they actually started to make their way up the slope towards Otorten Mountain where they rediscovered the Mansi tracks that they had been following.
0: Yay. Yay. It's like when you take a wrong turn, like a wrong exit on the highway mm-hmm. and then you're super fucking lost and you can't figure out how to get back to the highway. <laughs> right. And then you finally make it back an hour and a half later. Yeah. You see that like green sign and you're like, thank God. Yeah. Mm hmm. That's how they felt with these Mansi tracks. <laughs> <laughs> the trek up the mountain
1: was very hard and very slow and they actually created a method on the spot to help them ascend, and they called it path treading. And it consisted of the lead hiker taking off his or her backpack, beating the path ahead for five minutes, and then returning to the group in the back. So then the next person would go up what that person had packed in, and mm-hmm. then do that, and then come back. And they that's how they were making it through the snow, because it was four feet deep. I mean,
0: yeah. insane. Super cool. Very clever, but they are engineers and scientists and pipe smokers. So, it's true. So, you know. At 4 p.m.,
1: they began to look for a place to set up camp for the night. They went south to the Ospia Valley, where the wind wasn't as strong and the snow wasn't as high. The only problem with that was that firewood was scarce in this area, and the wood that they did find was super damp. They managed to start a fire, and they ate dinner inside the tent Igor would write the group's final diary entry, which is this. He
0: writes, Russian accent.
1: You're going to make do a Russian accent.
0: Mm-hmm. Do <laughs> okay. it. You can do it. You're so good. <clears throat> Channel Svetlana.
1: All right. It's hard to imagine such a cozy place anywhere at the ridge, under the piercing howls of the wind, hundreds of kilometers
0: from any settlements. That was an amazing accent. I feel like I can do better, but I'm not going to do it again. (laughs) That was really, really good. And actually, I have, um, I kind of didn't want to share this with you before, but I have an entry from Alexander the Pipe Smoker. (laughs) Yes, this is the only diary entry that they found. Really? Of his? Yeah. Do you you want me to read it now? Yeah, do it. Okay, ready? Should I do the accent too? Of course. You made me do it, so now you have to do it. You do a really good Russian accent. (laughs) So do you. (laughs) Okay, so let me see here. Let me just pull it up. Okay, great. Here it is. Hello, dear diary. This is Alexander. I just wanted to say that Igor is a really good cook, and I'm feeling very cozy in this place on this ridge right now. I'm so happy to be with my friends today, smoking this pipe without them. Ha, fuckers. Whoa, this <laughs> is a nice, right? Yeah. You made this up, didn't you? No, that's real. Is it real? No. It's not real. <laughs> <laughs> it's not real. Does he continue on? He does, actually, right here. Okay. I can't wait for tomorrow, which is February 1st. It is going to be super exciting because it will be snowy on the mountain, unlike yesterday, which was very snowy on the mountain. I cannot wait to hang out with my friends for the next week and then get back home safely to my family. Love. (laughs) Your undying love, Sasha. P.S. If you don't smoke all of this tobacco, just dump it out and don't give it to your friends. (laughs) Don't give it to your friends. That was real. Okay, so in whatever that was. What? <laughs> <laughs> that's real. I'll show it to you. Okay. When we're done reporting. You recording. have a copy of it? I do. And you translated it? I speak Russian. Oh, do you? Mm-hmm. Okay. Well,
1: I guess that's the second to last diary entry then, cuz Igor's was well, the last. Well,
0: technically Igor's was the the last known one in the group's diary. Mm. This was in um in Alexander's Okay. You know, his, his private one okay. that no one saw. I believe you. I hope you do, because why would I lie to you? <laughs> it's not like you've ever done it before. <laughs> I, I don't lie. On the final day,
1: February 1st. That's my birthday. It is Noelle's birthday. The group took 10 pictures, and judging by their faces, they were in pretty good spirits. Because it was my birthday. Yeah. That's why. They were laughing in the pictures because it was Noel's
0: birthday. That's right.
1: The group had a task for the day. They needed to construct a labaz or, I guess, a temporary storage shelter for their gear because they were about to hike up even further up the mountain and they needed to lighten their load. Yeah, like a little cache of like cachet, if you will. So they stocked the shelter with some reserve food that they had extra skis and boots, a spare first aid kit, and, sadly, Yorgi's mandolin. So
0: after the shelter was done, they continued on ahead. Can you imagine that discussion between Yorgi and the rest of them? He's like, no, you guys, I need to bring it, okay? If I don't bring it, how will we fight off the UFOs? (laughs) And they didn't bring it.
1: You know, if they brought it, they could have serenaded
0: the Yeti. They probably... live. yeah. Yeti's notorious to love mandolin music. Everyone knows it.
1: The pictures of that day show the hikers maneuvering through difficult terrain. There's sparse trees, and they're hiking single file towards the top of the mountain. It's actually really cool, those pictures. All of these pictures are so cool. cool.
0: They're such cool pictures. Yeah.
1: The group stopped for the day a bit early, and then they chose a spot on an east facing slope. And after setting up, The campers were in their tents by 9 p.m. and ready to hit the hay and continue on the next day.
0: However, they would not get the chance to continue the next day. Nicole just put on a hat that says narrator. (laughs) I don't know where you got that, but I'm here for it. Etsy? I made it myself, actually. (laughs) Whoa. (laughs) Before they had left on their journey, Igor Dyatlov had agreed that he would telegram back to the sports club as soon as the group returned from Viget. he gave a rough estimate of February 12th as the date that they would return, depending on conditions and such. Mm-hmm. Like if they're having a lot of fun up there, they <laughs> might just hang out for a while. Right. I mean, it could be a day early. It could be a day later. Just around
1: that time is what he said.
0: Yeah. Like if they found a hot tub, mm. it's going to take an extra day. I mean, probably two. <laughs> Once you're tubbing, time don't mean nothing. <laughs> When Yuri Yudin dropped out of the group to return back home, Igor told him that it would likely be much longer before their return, but he didn't know when, which sounds very ominous to me, knowing what we know now. Yeah. When the 12th came and went, everyone waited, knowing that the weather may be keeping them or like a hidden hot tub might be keeping them, (laughs) and that a delay would probably be a little bit normal. When the 20th of February came and no telegram arrived members of the adventuring group's family started to raise questions and eventually demanded a rescue operation. Yeah, I would hope so. Right? Eight additional days. (laughs) Yeah, But contact wasn't, like, if you think about it, we are constantly texting and calling people now.
1: Yeah.
0: So back then, I'm sure it was normal to not contact people all the time. Right. But you would think that the sports club that they were
1: affiliated with would know because they were on such a difficult track. Yeah. To That the possibility of them potentially getting hurt or
0: lost was huge. Oh, definitely. Absolutely. And if they had just lugged along like an 80-pound radio, (laughs) they probably would have made it. Maybe, yeah. The first rescue group departed the next day. Volunteer students and teachers from the institute searched out but found nothing right away. Many of the Mansi tribe members actually joined the search for Igor and the gang. I like calling them that. It makes it sound like a band or something. Yeah, it's like Scooby-Doo. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) right. Igor and the gang. Because they knew the area best, so who better to search than the locals? Mm -hmm. Then the pros got involved. The army sent out planes and helicopters to search from the air, but for the longest time, they found absolutely nothing. Then, on the 26th of February... The search party found the remnants of a tent on Colette's cycle. The tent was completely shredded. It looked like it had been cut with a knife from the inside, almost as if someone was trying to escape from whatever was inside. But remember we talked about earlier, they didn't have zippers. Yeah. They sewed in. Right. So unless you're going to cut the threads, which takes time, you're going to rip it out. Yeah. It's like if they were inside and they needed to escape quickly... Cutting the tent would have been their only option, really. Right, which makes the most sense. Mm -hmm. And it did look like someone had cut from the inside with a knife. It was described by a member of the search party named Mikhail Sheravin this way. The tent was half torn down and covered in snow. It was empty, but all the group's belongings and shoes had been left behind. The inside of the tent was orderly. The group had taken off their skis and made a sort of floor at the bottom, like a hard surface to lay on. Mm -hmm. And then they layered the contents of their packs down with many of the remaining boots neatly arranged along one, I'm going to say wall, for like a lack of a better word. Oh, yeah, like wall of the tent.
1: Yeah. That works.
0: Like along the perimeter. They lined it all up super orderly. There was also a little unassembled stove in the middle. In a ham wrapped in a cloth hanging inside the tent. So we can assume that they didn't have time to eat dinner yet. Oh, really? So they hadn't even started getting ready for bed. They were just cooking dinner? Um, so that's what it seems like. I know you're, you're a camping guy. Mm-hmm. So you know the little camp stoves that take like 10 seconds to assemble? Yeah. Well, at the time, that didn't exist. Yeah. <laughs> it took a really, really long time to put these together. And they oh. used to actually have competitions on who yeah. could assemble them first. So if they didn't even start assembling it, we can assume that they weren't even ready for dinner. And I think they
1: said that the fastest time was like a little over an hour or something.
0: So it took that long just
1: to set up the thing that's going to cook your food.
0: It's ridiculous. Yeah. Yeah. Plus their ham was hanging up. And you know what they say about a hung ham. I don't. (laughs) What do they say? (laughs) It hasn't yet been eaten. Oh, okay. (laughs) It makes it pretty self-explanatory. Yes, stupid me. I don't know why I said that. (laughs) Next time you see a hung ham, you'll know. The search party followed nine sets of footprints. Some of these footprints were barefoot. Others were just in socks. And one track was only wearing one shoe. Hmm. The tracks led to the end of the woods on the opposite side of the pass, about a mile away from their camp. About 16 feet into the tracks, they were covered up with snow and it was very difficult to follow. You know, like when you get off the highway and you like make a wrong turn and then right, right. You know, I'm just kidding. <laughs> I'm just kidding. <laughs> Luckily, the searchers saw the remnants of a small fire under what they call the big tree, mm-hmm. which is a very very large Siberian cedar tree. It was only when the searchers went over to the fire that they noticed a knee sticking out of the snow. And they called the others over they carefully removed the snow from the area and it was here that they found two bodies the two yuris krivonashenko and Doroshenko, lying side by side neither man was wearing shoes coats or pants yuri k we're going to call him because i have trouble saying his last name <laughs> krivonashenko thank you <laughs> i'm just gonna point to you okay, okay. yuri krivonashenko was wearing an undershirt a flannel shirt brief underwear with long underwear layered over them, and socks. He was found lying on his back with his mouth and eyes wide open. It looked like an animal had eaten the soft tissue around his mouth and mm-hmm. his eyes. Yeah. Super sad, but nature, right? Yeah. And Yori... Doroshenko. <laughs> thank you. <laughs> ...was wearing a flannel shirt, long underwear layered over swim trunks... And the right leg of his long underwear was completely untouched while the other leg had been ripped off. Again, no socks, no shoes. He was found lying face down with his arms folded under his head like he was napping, sort of, in the snow. There was weirdly snow packed in between his toes. I don't know. Like he was walking? Maybe. I don't know. It was something that this article I read made Mm -hmm. sure to point out that it looked like snow had almost been forced in between his toes so I don't know if he was grinding his feet into the ground or what but it's funny because when I read
1: this and I saw that (laughs) it was swim trunks I was like no that that can't be what if
0: they found a hot tub
1: I mean that's the only
0: explanation
1: (laughs) but that's what um, a lot of articles confirm that it was swim trunks, which seems really odd, especially since they had to lighten their load. It's like, why would you ever think you would need swim trunks unless you are planning to find
0: a hidden hot tub? Hidden hot tub. <laughs> There's a lore in Russia about a hidden hot tub. The Golden Hot Tub is what they call it. For real? No, I'm making this up. <laughs> <laughs> it sounds like a very Russian lore, though, the doesn't golden it? Hot tub, the yeah. Golden Hot Tub. That when you sit like in at it, the top of the mountain. Yeah. You become the leader of the Soviet Union. You become the master of the Soviet Union. The master. Union. <laughs> mm-hmm. mm they were, or, That's what
1: they were really trying to do. They yeah. were not trying to get their grade three certificate. They were on the hunt for that golden hot tub.
0: Golden hot tub. You, you have to. This also made me kind of think about, um, <laughs> I just imagine him running out of like regular underwear. Like he didn't have time. He was packing. He didn't have time. So right. he's like, Well, I guess I will just have to wear these swim trunks. They look exactly like underwear. But they have like palm trees on them and flamingos and yeah. stuff. And he thought it says n- Corona light on the end. <laughs> he thought no one would see them. Because yeah. he wasn't planning on dying in the forest. And then if they do find the golden hot tub, he can rip off his long he's underwear. <laughs> like those pants with snaps all the way down the side. He's rip off his long underwear. Oh, he brought those too. He was wearing just in case. You have to. It's like (laughs) check it out. I'm here for the party. And then he's in the the Golden Hot Tub. Yeah, you know what? Actually, it all makes sense now. Now that you put it that way. If you ever go hiking or skiing three hundred kilometers, make sure you wear swim trunks. Yeah, you got to Corona Light. (laughs) Sponsored by Corona. What is so strange, besides the swim trunks, is that tree branches about five meters above the bodies on this tree were broken. This suggests that one or possibly both of them had tried to climb the tree, either to look from a higher vantage point or to escape from something? Mm. Mm. Also, both of their hands were burned, and human flesh clung to the tree bark of this big tree. Both of these men were laying on the broken branches, That had fallen off of this tree. Right. And I think um, an explanation for why they were burned Mm -hmm. is that
1: they... So they both died of hypothermia. Right. And so it's thought that maybe they were sleeping next to the fire and Mm -hmm. then sort of like rolled into it and that's why they were burned. So Yuri Doroshenko died from hypothermia and his official death, that was his official death. But he did have wounds that might indicate that something or someone had pressed on his chest. Nothing was broken, but it could have been a person's foot on his chest, or maybe he fell from the tree. Mm -hmm. Who knows? Yuri Krivanashenko, his cause of death was also hypothermia. It was also found that he had possibly bitten his own hand to help him stay awake while he was freezing, and you know, hypothermia sets in, and you're start to fall asleep because your body just essentially shuts down. Mhm. Because they found skin his own skin tissue in between his teeth. Yeah. So he was like biting himself to try to stay awake. That's very sad. Yeah.
0: Yeah. I imagine that maybe their hands were also burned cuz they were holding them to the fire. Oh, that too. I don't know. Yeah. That's just too. very interesting to me. Yeah. Very very sad, but I was researching like if it hurts to die of hypothermia. Mhm. And pretty much your body just shuts down and you go to sleep. Yeah. So it's one of the best ways to die. You know, if you have to die. Right. I mean, you probably are really fucking cold before that. Oh, (laughs) I'm not saying it's great. I don't think there's any great way to die. No. But if you have to die, falling asleep in the cold is probably one of the best ones. Very true. Very true. The following day, with the help of the Mansi people and their dogs, more of the adventuring group was found. The dogs led the searchers to an area past the big tree, and they began digging. The searchers saw one arm start to surface, and the excavation began. Slowly, they uncovered a man in a sweater, layered over a flannel, with a fur vest over that for fashion. No hat, no gloves, no shoes, but he was wearing socks. A watch on his left hand read 513, and he looked like he had been clutching onto a small birch tree at the time he died. This is the body of the leader, Igor Dyatlov, of past fame. Of past
1: fame. (laughs) Igor's official death was ruled hypothermia. He had no internal injuries, but was wearing clothing that looked as if he had cut it from his friends. So they were maybe already dead or past the point. So, you know, like... The one, one of the Yuri's had his mm-hmm. leg, his pant leg, like cut off or ripped yeah. off. So it's thought that they, once they knew that their friends were dead, they
0: kind of just like scrambled to get their clothes right to stay warm. To which stay warm. Yeah. We'll see more of that, right? Right. As we go on, Zena was <laughs> a warrior princess. Fame, <laughs> a warrior princess. Fame was found shortly after Igor. She was found about one thousand five hundred and seventy feet from the big tree, whereas Igor was found about. A little less than that at like 980 feet away from the tree. She was laying on her right side with her right leg bent very strangely. Hmm. She was also wearing a jacket, ski pants, and a hat. No shoes, but she was wearing socks. Her official cause of death
1: was hypothermia due to a violent accident. I don't know if that's a different type than the rest of them, but that's it specifically said due to a violent accident for her.
0: Like snowballed to death? Yeah. I'm not trying to laugh (laughs) at a done woman right now, but... But, I mean, I guess something happened. It was
1: also determined that she was not sexually active at the time of her death, which is a little weird to mention now, but it will be
0: important later on when we go over possible explanations. Right. And the other ones, they fucked. (laughs) No, I have no idea. Um, Rustum was found buried under the snow 2,070 feet from the big tree. So a little further out here. He was found laying down with his right leg, again, bent very strangely. He was wearing a flannel shirt, a ski jacket, ski pants. It did match. So he's got like a full set going on here. Mm, Fashion. Multiple pairs of socks and one felt shoe. And he died of hypothermia, but
1: was also found with a minor skull fracture Mm. that some suggest was done with a blunt object. So, I mean, I guess he could have fallen, but they came to the conclusion that it was a blunt object. Yeah. He also had cuts and bruises on his hands and on his legs, which were sort of weird when they did the autopsy, he was found with liver mortise spots on the surface of his body, which possibly indicated that his body had been moved post-mortem. Very interesting. They also found this on Doroshenko, Komorogorova, and Slobodin. So some of them, it seemed as if their bodies were
0: moved after
1: they had already died.
0: Yes. Very Interesting. Corpses don't usually walk around. Not typically. But I don't like to make generalizations here. <laughs> All of these bodies were found oriented towards the camp, as if they had been making their way back towards the camp. Based on a small melted area of ice under Russom's mouth, it can be determined that he was alive when he fell, which is very oh, interesting. To so, me. if the skull fracture, if he fell, mm-hmm. he was alive. Yeah, yeah, it was like melted out, like a little cave. By his mouth, like Ooh. his breath had melted. Ooh, it. creepy. Mm-hmm. As for the other four adventurers, the snow had made it completely impossible for searchers to find them until May, when the snow began to melt. Remember, we're under a minimum of four feet of snow right now. Right, There's so much snow. <laughs> yeah. The Mansi people found a pile of clothing abandoned in the snow. And after two days of searching on May 4th, the bodies of Sasha, Ludia, Nikolai, and Alexander were found under 13 feet of snow. Holy shit. This is after the snow has melted. Wow. 13 feet. That's insane. They were in a ravine 250 feet away from the big tree, deeper into the woods. It looked as if these four were wearing the clothes of the others to keep warm, which we sort of mentioned right. earlier.
1: I mean, it seems that whatever happened... These three stayed alive the longest since they were the, the most clothed and they had been wearing the clothes of others. They actually called the area in which they found these members the Diatlov Den. Mm. Yeah, because it's clear that they were sane enough to create they created sort of like a shelter to try to stay alive. They laid cedar branches on the ground to try to minimize the contact of their bodies to the snow. And another weird thing is that their bodies were found a few feet away from the shelter. Right. So they were smart enough to create the shelter, obviously, whatever was going on. They created Mm -hmm. the shelter because they knew they needed to survive, but they were found outside of it, which is very strange. Were they running?
0: No one knows. Were they (laughs) just out for like some hopscotch? They were searching for that hot tub. You, you know what? If you know you're going to die, do you wait in your little snow den? Or, or do you, you m- search for the cold <laughs> for the cold and hot tub. Ludia's left foot was wrapped in torn pieces of Yuri... Krivonashenko's. ...wool pants. She was also wearing a hat, an undershirt, a flannel shirt, two sweaters, ski pants, and her right foot had two socks on it. She was found face down in the frozen creek.
1: Her death is part of the reason why there is such a conspiracy around this whole case. So her death was caused by internal bleeding from severe chest trauma. The autopsy report stated that her death was caused by a massive hemorrhage into the right ventricle, multiple bilateral rib fractures, and internal bleeding into the thoracic cavity. The trauma was caused during life and is the result of high force impact with subsequent fall, throw, or bruise to the chest of Dubanina. She was also missing her tongue, Mm -hmm. along with parts of muscles in her mouth. Uh Uh-huh. She also had coagulated blood in her stomach, Mm -hmm. which indicated that she was probably alive and her heart was still beating and pumping blood when her tongue was removed. Right. Dead people don't bleed. No. So that's insane to me, and it's terrible because she clearly had her tongue removed while while she was alive. Yeah. And she was also not sexually active at the time. But the rest of them? Fucked.
0: (laughs) (laughs) I mean, we can't confirm, but... (laughs) There's no proof they didn't. Sasha definitely fucked. Sasha definitely fucked. That's just, (laughs) let's just lay that out there. Speaking of Sasha, he was wearing Layuda's hat and coat. Some of the articles of clothing had cuts and rips in them. They looked like they had either been forcibly removed or if there was like a strange struggle to remove them from other bodies, Mm -hmm. which would make sense if they were dead or frozen to the ground. Right. Two of these people were also huddled together. I didn't see which ones oh i just saw two people so i don't know why they're not telling us and what they're hiding from us right now mm. i don't know but two of them were huddled together for warmth or maybe out of fear yeah let's say warmth because it's less sad i guess Yeah. alexander's ankle was wrapped and it looked as though it had been previously injured hmm. Sasha was actually found with his eyeballs missing. What?
1: He also weirdly had a camera around his neck, but the ice and the water had ruined the film. Yes, he brought a secret camera. Yeah, so I wonder what was on that film, but we'll never know.
0: The world may never know.
1: It's said it was probably his idea to build the shelter, the Dyatlov Den. Right. Because they did this a lot in the army, so it was probably his idea. To do it, Sasha's cause of death was a combination of fatal injuries and hypothermia because he was
0: found with several broken ribs. Interesting. Very interesting. Isn't it so sad that he was a World War II vet and, like, basically survived a tour that no one else did? And he gets knocked out, yeah. Yeah. Whatever happened, we don't know. Whatever happened.
1: (sighs) Alexander died of hypothermia and was found in a forest ravine 75 meters from the main pine tree. So, I don't know. Whatever happened or whatever they were running from, it seems like he got the furthest. Mm -hmm. He also had a broken nose and deformed neck, suggesting that his neck was possibly broken. Terrible. Terrible. Which is also very interesting. Nikolai, his cause of death is another weird one. So the official cause of death was a fatal skull injury. And his skull was severely crushed, like Mm -hmm. to the point where whatever happened to his skull, he probably, that killed him. He didn't even, hypothermia didn't even have the chance to set in. Right. Some suggest maybe a fall on the rocks could have caused this injury, but who knows. It's also important to call out that these bodies were found much later, so they were exposed to elements for much longer than
0: the rest. So we don't really know, right? Since they were found in the spring, there's a little like yeah. not as much information we have. And I'm just kind of wondering out loud here, broken ribs and stuff, mm-hmm. um, as much as I love a conspiracy, which we will very much get oh, into next hell week. Yeah. I do wonder if maybe the 13 plus feet of snow had something to do with some broken ribs. I was, honestly, I was wondering the same thing. Or right. uh,
1: I think it was Luda who had a slight chest. Uh-huh. And I was thinking, okay, well, if nothing broke, it could have been the snow just packed on top of her. Right.
0: How much does 13 plus feet of snow weigh? I don't know. Probably so much. I mean, yeah. Well, I don't know if it would actually really do anything to
1: you, though, if you were laying down. I, I don't I know. I think I'm eventually. not, physics. <laughs> I'm not the- physics. This isn't a physics
0: podcast. What? What kind of podcast is this? I don't even know anymore. It's like Golden Hot Tub. It's like a search for the Golden Hot Tub. Check it out, Tuesdays. Of course, a legal investigation started almost immediately after the first five bodies were found, and many, many theories of what actually happened began cropping up again almost immediately. Mm -hmm. Because how many questions? So many questions. All the questions? All of the questions. And... I hate to say it, but this is where we will pick up next week with part two of Diet Love Pass. Part two. Part two. two. <laughs> so next week we will go over basically everything that you guys actually want to know. All the conspiracy mm-hmm. theories. Um, Explanations. What we think happened. the What they found in the investigation. Mm-hmm. All that good stuff. So I guess tune in next week for that. Yeah, and I don't think – we're
1: not going to do a listener lore because it's – we're going to do it at the end of this, right?
0: Yeah, I think we should, but uh, do you want to do, like, our own personal listener lore? Because I know you have a story, Svetlana.
1: (laughs) It's not really a story. It's more just the fact that I
0: pretended to be a Russian named Svetlana a lot back in the day. (laughs) (laughs) What's so funny is that I used to pretend to be a Russian named Sasha back in the day. Yeah. And
1: it, I don't even think we, we didn't even do it
0: together. No, no. We literally just found out it that w- we yeah. used to
1: do this. It was, I mean, I, when I was in college and I would go to bars and men would talk to me that I didn't really uh-huh. want to talk to. So I'd tell them my name was Svetlana. Yeah. you and just I, I don't know why anyone believed that because I don't look like Svetlana at all. <laughs> and I definitely don't look like a Sasha.
0: You can pull off Sasha. <laughs> Thank you. But yeah, that's I yeah. guess that's my listener lore. That's our listener lore. Um, whenever a man would come up and be like, hey, beautiful, can I have your number? I'd take out the closest steak knife and I'd do that thing where you stab in between your <laughs> fingers and I would look him in the eye while I was still doing it, so I wasn't even looking, and mm-hmm. I would go, Sasha says no. Go away. It's the only way. It's the only way. Yeah. You know, Creeper's going to creep and Sasha's and Svetlana's going <laughs> to say no. Niet. Niet. <laughs> so... That's Are not real listener lore. No, it's just a thing we did. It's just a real <laughs> thing that we did in real life. So And you guys can use it because it works. <laughs> and you know what? If you have any stories about pretending to be people that you are not or doing mm. fun accents in public, yeah. Let us know. We want to know. Write to us at quiteunusualpod at gmail.com or we freaking love it when you slip a reslide <laughs> into our DMs. So hit us up on the social media, DM us, let us know. If you like what you hear, please rate, review, and subscribe to our podcast. And as always, all of our sources are listed in the show notes Mm -hmm. for this episode. So check it out if you want to do your own research. We will put a link to all those cool photos. Yes. And you know what? I'm going to put the link to Tatiana's interview, too, because it's very interesting. Do it. Um, we
1: also have to shout out one of our listeners, Sabrina, yes. and Insta friend,
0: yeah. for
1: buying us a drink this week. Thank you for funding our champagne habit, yeah. our Prosecco <laughs>
0: habit. Um, last of the year,
1: last of the year, the well, final
0: pop, final pop of twenty twenty. Yeah. So thank you so much, Sabrina. We're so grateful. Yes. If you guys want to buy us, buy us a drink. We won't go home with you, but. <laughs> We'll tell you that our name is Felana and Sasha, and then we'll run away. We will. We absolutely will. If you ever see us in public, we're just going to whip out a, no, I am so sorry. You are mistaken. You won't know us. But if you want to buy us a drink, a bottle, um, just one one maybe little shot situation, whatever, you know, whatever you're feeling, um, you can go to buymeacoffee.com slash quite unusual pod. Or we have the link for it in pretty much the link in all of our bios.
1: Yeah, all over
0: the interweb. Yeah, so check it out there and buy us a drink, and we'll give you a shout out. And we will probably do a dance while we pop that cork.
1: Yeah, depending on how we're feeling
0: that day. It depends. Sometimes we don't dance. Yeah, maybe we'll ballroom dance next time.
1: Mmm. Foxtrot. Think... Ooh. Anyways. Do you... Do you... <laughs>
0: Do you I, have anything else to plug? I
1: think this is when I tell you to celebrate
0: the strange. I should probably also mention to keep it unusual. Bye. Bye.